0: I'm John Malella, I'm one of the elders, and um, uh, I'm not really sure why, but they let me up here every once in a while. So we're going we're gonna, to uh, have our message today uh, from the book of Exodus, believe it or not. We're going to continue in our study of this book, so much of which is foundational for understanding the rest of the Bible. So the book of Exodus, let's, let's get back to that. Uh, exodus theme, right? That's why we're doing this book, is what went through the whole scriptures. Uh, it's foundational for uh, understanding how, how the Bible works, right? The, the uh, rescue theme, as well as how our lives in God work. Our lives are, are an exodus. They're a lifelong translation from the harsh language of slavery to the poetry of freedom. So last week, uh, Ed Allen talked about why, why church? Why do we do this? Why, why do we gather? Why do we get together? And he talked about how we can't do life with God alone. It was not meant to be a, a solo sport. We need each other. And we also need some structure, right? And he walked us through chapter 18, where uh, basically Moses is, is hogging all the responsibility. He's hogging all the ministry, although he probably wouldn't see it that way. Uh, and his, his father-in-law Jethro shows up and basically tells him, you're hogging all the ministry, and you're doing two things. These people aren't getting cared for, and you're killing yourself. So um, Moses, let's give him kudos, he listened, and he changed the way he was doing things. He laid out this care structure, how to take care of all of God's people. Um, we saw last week of how we need each other. So last week answered the question, or began to answer the question of, who, in other words, who do I need to be with, this week will answer the question or begin to answer the question of what are some of the things that we need to be doing together? What are some of the things we need to be doing together? And one of those things that we need to do is we need to be fighting. We need to be fighting. We're gonna talk about a good kind of fighting. Actually, it's not just good. But it is absolutely essential to our spiritual lives. Not only our spiritual lives, but the lives of our families and even our nation and beyond. Yeah, it's not small. (laughs) Uh, We are to fight. We are to engage in conflict and win. That's the main point of my message today. You, You can all go home. We are to fight. We are to engage in conflict and win. Uh, Today we're going to look at who we need to fight and how we need to fight. I'm not going to give pointers, I'm not going to give a how-to, I'm going to give more of a stance and a posture. So as I thought about fighting, I couldn't help but think back, as I wandered the corridors of my memory, uh, think back to public school in New York City uh, as I was growing up. Uh, PS 54 in Richmond Hill, Queens. I went there until fourth grade. Um... Uh, and it was a little rough. So this is going back a few decades. Uh, you know, New York has been cleaned up since, since then in, in some ways, but this, this was a little rough. School is a little bit rough. So I remember my last year in, in fourth grade, and I'm not kidding, there were fights almost every week. I am not kidding. Fourth grade, I think we were nine years old. Uh, okay, one kid against another. Usually the boys, uh, surprise. Uh, although occasionally the girls would, would mix it up too. And I still remember my fourth grade teacher, uh, one wonderful teacher, great lady, Mrs. Gold. Yeah, that was her real name. I still remember her taking off her glasses and putting them on my desk as she went in to once again break up another fight in the classroom. Yeah, fourth grade, believe it or not. So I was usually an observer of this. You know, I was on the, the outside looking in, but occasionally mm, I, I would get picked on. Um, I wasn't small, um, but I wasn't that athletic, and I was a little bit, a little bit on the chubby side. Um, I wore husky pants, um, uh, and I was, I was kind of meek, right? a little bit on the meek side. I was, I was a stereotypical classic middle child, I still am, uh, peacemaker, right, uh, avoid conflict. And I felt overmatched by a lot of these more aggressive boys. So one day in, in this fourth grade class, uh, we're going over our homework, and it's kind of a kind of a free for all in the class. We're out of our seats, and I, w- I was a good student. So Mrs. Gold uh, says to me, "Go and go and help Willie with his homework." Okay, can you go help Willie out with his homework? So so Willie, uh, Willie was not a good student. Okay, but he was he was one of the um, one of the better fighters in the class. He's one of the better fighters. Uh, So you can imagine my delight, my absolute delight, when after I helped Willie with his homework, he looks at me and he says, tomorrow I'm going to teach you how to fight. I was absolutely delighted that Willie, Willie was going to teach me how to fight. I was unbelievably excited. I couldn't wait to go home and tell my mother. I wasn't the most savvy of kids, I guess. Because uh, I was really surprised that she wasn't as excited as I was, that I was going to be taught how to fight. <sighs> I don't even know if I slept that night. Um, I get, get to school the next day, okay, and I, I see Willie in the classroom, and we have some free time somehow. I go over to Willie, and I said, Willie, <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to learn how to fight. Uh so Willie looks at me, and he says, make a muscle. So of course, you know, I put up my ch- chubby little arm, mm, and, you know, the bicep, I mean, show, him, show him the muscle. And I expect him to say, wow, you're strong. I expected him to say that, you know. Instead, instead, he puts up his own arm, and he says to me, nah, you got to have one of these. Puts his arm down, walks away, and that was the beginning and end of my fighting lesson. (laughs) So today, we're gonna look at a passage about fighting. And unlike my experience with Willie, we hope to get some training, at least a posture in how to fight as well as talk about who we need to fight. So let's pray. Lord, I know today we, we are, we're in so many different places with you. I know some of us uh, are well-connected. Others of us are struggling. We've got a lot of different burdens. Other, others of us, we, we are in the desert, we're wandering. Um, and I know that there's probably people here that are even wondering if you're real. And yet, and yet, we know that you are able, through your word and through your spirit, you are able to reach every single person where they're at. So, Lord, please use, use the words that I'm going to speak, and please remove the, the parts that really are not helpful or not from you. And um, I pray we'd walk out of here today different. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to read Exodus 17, 8 through 16. And can you you stand? Uh, We're going to stand out of respect for for God's word. Uh, So uh, last week we did did chapter 18. We're going to go back a little bit to cover this. So I'm going to read. Oh, it's on the screen. Yeah. So the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. The Amalekites. Moses said to Joshua, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. So Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. You may be seated. So we see in this passage, for, for the first time in Israel's history, God's people actually take up weapons and, and fight. So before they're, before they're in the promised land, before they've, they've even planted a crop or cultivated a vineyard or, or you know, kept livestock or even set sight on their ultimate home, they have to pick up swords and fight now, take, take note of this. This is not the last time that they're going to fight. In fact, the life of Israel will be characterized by warfare until they take final possession of the land. God's people will be fighters until they fully claim their home. Up until now, God has done all the fighting for his people. Now, think about it, what we've already talked about with the book of Exodus. Um, the time of the plagues, right? God did everything. He sent the plagues. He sent the blood the hail, the darkness, etc. All the tribes had to do was follow Moses' instructions for the Passover. Don't put yeast in your bread, kill the lamb, roast the lamb, put the blood on your door frame, and leave Egypt forever. But here, we see for the first time, God's people taking up arms to fight an enemy. So we see that God's people will be fighters until they fully claim their home so who who are these Amalekites um, that that we're talking about today you know this is their first appearance in the book of Exodus but we've seen them before in the Bible Genesis 14 they're part of a group of nations in conflict Uh, Abraham's nephew Lot gets kidnapped Abraham has to go rescue him but this Amalek is the Amalek that is descended from Esau in in the book of Genesis Uh, And most of you know that story. Esau and Jacob were brothers. Uh, Esau, the the oldest, gave up his birthright. And Jacob, known as Israel, became the heir of God's promises. So we have the children of Esau uh, and the children of Israel at war. And there's kinship between these two. There's kinship. And throughout the Bible, the Amalekites are actually constantly at war with Israel. We see that later in this book. We also see this later in the Bible at the time of Judges, which is right after this time of occupying the, the promised land, right after the time Israel settles in Canaan. The Amalekites attack um, Israel numerous times. Um, later on in, in 1 Samuel, we see that Saul, the first king of Israel, uh, is commanded to, to wipe out the Amalekites, and he, he fails. He keeps some of the livestock and treasure for himself and he winds up losing his crown uh, because of this. We also see later in, in, uh, in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 30, David has his entire household taken hostage by the Amalekites, and he has to rescue them. And we get a final picture of the Amalekites in the book of Esther. Uh, Haman, the Agagite or, or Amalekite, he's an advisor to the Persian king. He is hell-bent on nothing less than the complete wiping out of the Jewish people. Amalek wants Israel extinct. And this is where it begins. Right here. We also see that the Amalekites do something particularly egregious. So the Israelites are, well, they're at the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula. um, And they're, they're weakened. They're weakened. They haven't had water. And you see that in the... the the few verses before this. um, And actually, the God of Israel has led them into a place of lack in order to test them and build their faith. This was God's plan, led them into a place of lack in order to test them, build their faith, build their faith. And the Amalekites attack them and start killing them. You know, one commentator notes that the Amalekites are actually from the north, So hearing about Israel's movement, they actually go out of their way. They go out of their way to intercept Israel and attack the stragglers and the weak. Moses later recounts this in Deuteronomy twenty five, verse seventeen through nineteen. He says uh, in his in his sermon, Moses' sermon to the people of Israel, he says, Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt? When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. So here we get some sense of enemy strategy, which is attack the weak and the weary. The enemy attacks, and I'm going to make some application already. The enemy attacks when we're weak and weary. When we're tired, when we're physically exhausted or emotionally spent or spiritually empty, we are vulnerable to attack. The Israelites were vulnerable and so are we. I want to take a moment here and register the shock that this attack must have been to Israel. It must have been a shock. Now think of it, they've left Egypt. They've been in the desert about a month and they're, again, without water, they're thirsty. Uh, And here they get attacked. It must have been a shock. And some of them are already thinking, wait, 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 we left Egypt for this? All right, Egypt may not have been paradise uh, but at least it was predictable. I, I, I knew, the, I knew the, the, you know, the worst slave owners to avoid. Um, I, I knew where to get the best deals in the market. It was predictable. And we left Egypt to come to this place where, wait, wait, Moses, and by extension God, Moses, not only have you failed to provide for us, you have failed to protect us. Does that resonate with anyone today? Anyone in the desert today feeling unprovided for and attacked? If not today, you will. You will in your life go through times like this. You will. I want to say something about the when, the timing of this attack. You know, in a few weeks, Israel will have an epic encounter with God at Mount Sinai. Just a few weeks from here. Uh, God's going to give them his, his ten words, his ten commandments. God is preparing them for this epic encounter. So here we see the enemy attacks when God is preparing us for something greater. The enemy attacks God's people when God is preparing them for something greater. When he's drawing us in, opening up new opportunities for us to know him, New opportunities for us to do his will. The enemy attacks. And I've seen this in my own life. You know, whenever I've resolved to be more regular in in Bible reading or um, to get into a new rhythm of of prayer um, or even to connect, even to connect with with other Christians, I, I find that over and over again something knocks me off my game. Is it coincidence? I don't think it is. I think it's attack, it's attack. So Willie, what do we do? Here in this passage, something needs to be done and Moses takes charge. This has to be dealt with immediately. So he gets Joshua, this is Joshua's first appearance here and we know that he is going to eventually take over from Moses and be the military leader who leads the people into the promised land. So here we see a kind of a, a foretaste of this. He tells Joshua, Joshua, you have 24 hours. Get men together to deal with this. <laughs> he gives him a day. Okay. Now, now, those of you that know anything about you know, military stuff and the way uh, this stuff works, you know, the United States, right, we're, we're famous for having probably the, the, you know, the best logistics capacity Maybe in world history, we can project force anywhere in the world. We can't go to war in a day. But here, Moses tells Joshua, this is the urgency of this. I give you a day. Get people together. Get some men to fight the Amalekites. He doesn't tell them how, and he doesn't give them any real plan, except he says, I'm going to be at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. The staff of God. You can't overestimate. It's impossible to overestimate how encouraging this must have been to Joshua to hear this. So he goes. Joshua just goes. He has zero hesitation. You know, he doesn't say, "Uh, Moses, it's going to take me more than a day to do this. He doesn't say that. He also doesn't say, I don't know if we can do this, Moses. We're, We're really untested. Here, you know, the Amalekites, they're battle-hardened warriors, and, you know, we're we're barely out of slavery. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. He just goes. Zero hesitation. Remember, warfare is brand new for the Israelites. They have zero experience in fighting, but they do have experience in seeing God do amazing things. The plagues, the splitting of the Red Sea, the defeat of, of Egypt as Egypt pursued them, uh, and earlier in this chapter, Moses struck the rock with his staff and water gushed out, sating the people's thirst. So what, what is the staff here? The staff is God's power, his provision, his protection. God's power, his provision, his protection over his people. A physical representation of God's authority, an instrument of God's intervention on behalf of his people. Joshua, Moses says... I will have this, and I will hold this over you and your men. So Joshua listens, and Moses goes to the top of the hill. He has two other men with him. He has Aaron and Hur. So we know his brother Aaron. He's the priest. And Hur, he's from the tribe of Judah. Uh, We're going to know one of his descendants. I think his grandchild or his son later on uh, is going to be very instrumental in the building of the tabernacle. Um, so they also go up, and in between them is old man Moses. And as the battle begins, Moses' arms rise. And Joshua and his men are winning. But Moses gets tired. It's not his age. We know from later on in this book that when Moses, when Moses dies, uh, he is, he's full, full of vigor. He doesn't weaken. His eyes are just as good. Uh, It's not his age. But human beings just can't hold their arms up that long. That's just a a weakness that we have. And as his arms start to sag, the Amalekites surge, and Israelites begin to fall like dominoes. But Moses has help. His brother Aaron takes his left arm, Hur takes his right, and they sit him on a stone, that's the only chair they could find on the hill. And they hold up his arms until the battle is won. You have to wonder, why did, why did Moses bring Aaron and Hur up the hill? Uh, did he know, even though he was God's chosen leader, that he was going to need help? I have a word for, for those of you that are in any kind of leadership. Um, let me say this. You better have your Aaron and your her with you. If you're in any kind of leadership, you better have your Aaron and your Her with you. Because you know what? You're going to get tired. You're going to get tired. Moses did everything right, and he got tired. And as Ed said last week, we can't do this alone. Moses couldn't. Neither can I. And neither can you. So what's really going on on that hill? Um, Moses raising his staff... This is where the battle is won. Joshua and his men, they've got the sword. They're in close combat with the Amalekites. And this is not, this is not assault rifle at 300 yards. This is face to face, toe to toe, sword in hand. I see your eyes, you see mine. This is close combat. But the battle is won on the hill. What, what's going on here? You know, we get a clue in verse 15 and 16 where it says, Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, listen to this, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. I like what one commentator says here. He says, what Moses is saying is, my hand was touching Yahweh's throne. In faith and trust, Moses puts his hands up to God, and God responds by giving victory. The battle is fought in the field, but the battle is won on the hill. Well, so how are we supposed to do this? And what I mean by how, I'm not going to give you a how-to, but if we are supposed to fight and wage war, what's our adverb how? In what manner are we supposed to do this? And I think the the correct adverb that we are to think about is, we are supposed to fight ruthlessly. Yeah, I said that. Ruthlessly. No compromise, no quarter. Ruthlessly. And we're going to do that because that's God's adverb here. Did you hear what he said? I'm going to blot out the Amalekites. I'm going to blot them out. You know, some writers have commented on... Oh, this looks like an extreme reaction on God's part. Um, He basically is making a promise that the Amalekites are done. In other words, he says, Moses, you better write this down because there's going to be no other trace of these people. So you better write this down so people are going to be able to to read about this because there's going to be no other trace. I'm I'm wiping them. I'm erasing them from history. Uh, One writer says, well, it looks like God is going ballistic why? You know, on a human level, um, I think we can understand part of this as parents, right? I, I think so. Like, like as a, as a grown-up, you know, you could take shots at me uh, all day long. You, you, you can. You can take shots at me. You know, especially after, uh, you know, five plus decades on this planet, I have very few illusions about, about my greatness. Um, and, and they're rapidly dwindling as the years go by. Um, you can take shots at me all day long. You can take shots at me, however that is. But do not touch my kids. Those of you as parents know that, right? You know that. Do not touch my kids. Take a shot at me. Do not touch my kids. On a human level, we can understand this. These are God's kids. Not only are they God's kids, this little band of tribes (laughs) uh, that God was forming into a nation. Do you get it? That this was God's vehicle for the transformation of humankind. This little band of tribes. um, This was was God's, God's chosen. They were to be God's chosen messengers for the story of God redeeming all of creation out of this little band of tribes, God was going to bring the Messiah in accordance with the promises he made to his good friend Abraham. The Amalekites were hell-bent, hell-bent on erasing Israel from the map even before they got established and ultimately wanted nothing less than the total destruction of God's people. Okay, you got to think this through, though. If there's no Israel, there's no Jesus, If there's no Jesus, there's no redemption. The stakes are incredibly high for the survival of this people. And that's why God says he's going to be ruthless here. He's going to blot out the Amalekites. He's going to do it. And as we fight, we are to be ruthless too. So, application. Who are the Amalekites for us? Um, The enemy. I want to talk about their tactics first. Um, first of all, the Amalekites, our enemy, I'm going to talk about who that is in a minute, has one goal, it is our destruction. It is the destruction of God's people. Um, there are two tactics for this. One is the physical elimination of God's people through persecution and ultimately murder. Yeah. Persecution and murder of God's people. You know, our brothers and sisters face this in other countries all day. Every day. Um, persecution, and ultimately murder. The other tactic that's more common that we're more likely to see in the West, and especially in this country, is what I call absorption. It's absorption of God's people. We get absorbed. Uh, We're not facing the sword, uh, but we get absorbed. What does that mean? We we are in constant threat of losing our identity as God's people. You know, a a few months ago... (laughs) Uh, I think it was a Friday night or a Saturday night. We do this occasionally. You know, we'll we'll pull up an old movie. You know, something that we haven't seen in a while. And for some reason, I, I know we wanted something you know old and kind of hokey. And we, we settled on The Blob. Okay. So um, yeah. So my next sermon will entirely be about The Blob. Um, you know, ni- 1958. It, it's it's an interesting. Uh, it's campy, right? It's, it's fun to see a movie that old. Uh, what's the story? Um, a substance falls on a meteorite, right, that always comes from space in these, in these movies. The good things don't come from space. Uh, the blob immediately begins to attack people. And how does it attack them? It absorbs them. They become part of the blob. They become part of the blob. That's how the blob wins. He makes you part of the blob. He absorbs you. Um, that's our situation in this country. We're in constant threat of being absorbed of losing our identity as followers of Christ, of being squeezed into a different mold. There's a thousand ways that this happens to us. Uh, Let me give you a few. We adopt the world's standards of success, right? Not only for us, but for our kids. We adopt the world's standards of success. We rely on our money instead of God, right? We say, look at this, look at this. And we need a willy to say, Nah, nah, you got nothing there. Or we let our appetites run amok and they rule over us. Yeah, there are a thousand ways we come under attack. A thousand ways we can compromise. A thousand ways we can get absorbed. And we are called to resist and fight back. As the saying goes, the church is always one generation away from extinction. We need to fight. We need to fight. So, so for us, okay, John, make application. Who, who are the real Amalekites for us today? Well, the Bible is very clear that for followers of Jesus, the Amalekites are never people. Oh, okay, the Amalekites are never people. I don't say that lightly. I don't say that lightly. Because even at this moment, we've got brothers and sisters, uh, hundreds and maybe thousands, thousands of them, that are under persecution in other countries by people. There are people that are doing this. Uh, Some of the persecution is cruel and even horrific. Um, And we're also seeing again the resurgent hatred against the Jewish people. Yeah, why is that? Because the Jewish people are a living reminder of the faithfulness of God, a living reminder of the reality of the Bible. The spirit of, of Amalek is alive and well on planet Earth. So I don't say this lightly, when I say that ultimately the Bible is very clear that our fight is not against people. Okay, I'll get there in a second. I also feel like I have to say something else. We we are uh, soon to enter that incredibly contentious and to me embarrassing time known as the American election cycle. Can I say this? Your enemy is not the person on the other side of the political aisle from you. That's not your real enemy. Let me read you what Paul says in his letter to the church at Ephesus. When he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, he says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I think it's fair to say that Paul experienced more human cruelty more human opposition, more abuse at the hands of people than most of us, hopefully, will ever experience. And yet he says, the people are not the root problem. It's who is behind them. It's who's behind them. We have to understand something here about the true reality on this planet. See, when we we were born, and I know this is going to sound like sci-fi, but I think the Bible is really clear about this, there was already a conflict going on. There is a conflict going on, and the conflict will probably, it will continue after, after we're gone. Um, it, it's, it's forces that are opposed to God uh, fighting, fighting against God. There are spiritual beings that are your adversaries, that are my adversaries. They are hell-bent on destroying what God has made, and that means you and me. What does that mean? The jihadists persecuting Christians, they have to be dealt with but ultimately they're not the enemy. The people in our own country um, that oppose you and your faith, they would really love you and your Christianity to go away. Um, They are not ultimately our enemy. Our enemy are, is, the forces of evil that cover this planet. And we are called to oppose them, to fight. Well, how, how, John? How do we do that? How do we ultimately win? We come under the staff. We come under the staff. We come under God's protection, power, and provision. The battle is won on the hill because the battle was won on the hill. The battle is won on the hill because the battle was won on the hill. Because we know that 1,500 years about after Moses raised his staff, There was going to be a greater Moses that ascended a different hill and he spread out his arms and he touched heaven for us. The greater Moses, Jesus, climbed the hill known as Golgotha, the skull, and he raised his hands for us. For us. For our forgiveness. To bring us to him. To make us his children. So how do we ultimately win? We come under the staff. Listen to what Paul says again. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Jesus, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The battle was won on the hill, and that's how we win. His victory is our victory. That's how we win. We walk in his victory. You know, as I prepared this message I felt numerous times that this, this message is for gateway. I don't always get that when I, when I go through a passage, but I, I do feel like I need to share that today. Um, I think there's, there's two reasons. One is God, is, God is doing stuff here. Well, he's always doing stuff, right? He's, of course. But um, God seems to be stirring. There, there may be new ministry opportunities he wants us to grab hold of. Uh, And if we do move forward into those, we're going to be attacked. So I think the message for us is we need to expect attack. But don't be afraid. We're under the staff. And we will fight back. Because Jesus' victory is ultimately our victory. The other thing that kept bubbling up in my mind as I thought through this and prayed through this message is, is also... Uh, it might be a warning for us. Um, if we don't fight the enemy, we're going to wind up fighting each other. You know, Israel was only a, a couple steps away from disintegrating into civil war. Her entire history. Um, we have not always managed internal conflict well here, and I say this as one of the leaders. Uh, in some in some cases, we've managed it poorly. And God has been gracious to us that we have not splintered. But we need to be fighting the enemy. Because if we don't, we're going to wind up fighting each other. Stand with me, please. You know, I know for, for some of us, maybe for some of you middle children like me, um, it's hard for you to see yourselves as fighters. But that's part of your identity as, as one of God's children. Um, we need to come under the staff to be reminded that we need to fight. Um, others of us, we have to be honest and admit that we've stopped fighting. We've stopped. We're Christians. We count ourselves as one of God's people. But we've allowed some of our identity to be stolen from us. Um, whatever it is, we've compromised. We, we've, we've, uh, we've stopped fighting in an area of our life. Um, you need to come under the staff if that's you today. Um, uh, Jesus offers you a fresh start. A fresh start. A new step on a, a first step on a new path. Um, for, for some of us, we have relied too much on this. Our education, our wealth. Our natural abilities, the strength of our personalities. And we've been easy prey. Easy prey. We're being absorbed. We need to come back under the staff. Come back under the staff. For others of you, uh, we're beaten up. We're beaten up. We are weary and thirsty. Weary and thirsty. We need to come under that staff. You need to come under the staff. And I know there might be at least one of you that's, you've never had that. You've never had, you've never, you've never been part of God's people. You've never taken that step to say, God, I want to be under your protection and your provision. You can have that today. That can be, that can be yours today. Very, not easy, but very simple. All you have to say is, Lord, I, I want to be in. I want to be part of your people. I want to come under your protection, your power. I want that forgiveness. I want that newness. You can have that today. And for all of us, we know that wherever he calls us to go and fight, we can go because he was there first. Pray with me. It is. Um, it's always hard for me to know up here what you're what you're doing. Um, I'm sure that's a a fault of mine or a shortcoming. But I do. But I do sense that you are you're active among us today, God. We we also were, um, Lord. I, I'm I'm aware, maybe more than more than just me aware of um, just how weak we are. Willie was right, Lord. I, I don't have one of those. And I don't think any of us do, but you do. You already fought the battle for us, Lord. And I know we don't have to be afraid. So help us, Lord, as we, as we face these things. Help us to keep that in mind and walk in the victory that you have already established for us. You have to make this real for us, God. Make this real. And it's in your name we pray, amen.